Well, hello again, and welcome to you. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and I'm here again to uh, and delighted to be with you again to continue in our online Bible study, Run Kitty Run, Exploring the Names of God. And so I want to begin again tonight. I welcome you as you can join in with me, and I'm delighted to be with you. I'm excited about what we're going to be studying tonight as we consider and try to learn more about the second person of the Trinity, the third person, excuse me, the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit or God the Holy Ghost. And so last week we talked about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The week before that we talked about God the Father. And remember, we're, we're looking at these because Elohim is a major name of God. It, it's actually translated as God many places throughout the scripture. And it refers to a unity in his oneness. So he is one God. We Christians are not pantheist. We are monotheistic. We worship one God, but he is revealed in three persons. And we've covered that in other lessons. So I'm delighted to be with you again. Let's begin with prayer again. Gracious Father, I commit this time to you. I thank you, Lord, and I just come before you as your servant to lift and to, to share from those things that you have spoken to my heart tonight. I pray that you, Holy Spirit, will anoint me for this purpose, and you will use me. And I pray in Jesus' name that those that will hear and view this video will learn more about you and be drawn into an intimate relationship with you, Father. Oh, hallelujah, because relationship with you, God, is what this is all about. We are not here to participate in some dead, dry religion. We are here to know you, God, to know you, and to grow in knowing you, growing closer and deeper in intimacy with you. And I thank you for that invitation, and I thank you that we can do that, Lord. As we go through your word, we learn more about you as we spend time in prayer with you. There's so many ways. And God, I'm so thankful for what you've done for us. I do ask for the Holy Spirit's anointing as I offer to you my, my services tonight, Lord, that you would anoint me, Father, to share your word and to do it as if you were speaking yourself. I pray in Jesus' name for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm delighted to be with you, and I welcome you as you can join in. All right. We have been speaking about Elohim, and tonight we're going to talk, as I mentioned, about the third person of the Trinity, Trinity, of the Trinity, the triunity of God, Elohim, as he's um, defined by the Hebrew word Elohim, and it's a plurality, a plurality in his unity. And so we saw how he's one God revealed in three persons. And we've talked about God the Father and God the Son, the first two persons. Tonight we look at the third person. So who is the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost? In some denominations, like those that, that I'm involved in and ordained through, we refer to him many times as the Holy Ghost. It's the same person we're talking about, God the Holy Spirit or God the Holy Ghost. He's nothing to be afraid of, but he is one of the three persons of the Godhead. And we're going to learn more about him tonight. Remember from the Jewish Shema that 
in Deuteronomy 6, it speaks of how the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and he is echad, which speaks of that one, that united one. There's unity in his diversity is how R.C. Sproul's puts it. So let's consider this third person of the triune God. He is, in Hebrew, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. The Hebrew words here that are used here speak of him as the Ruach, and that is the spirit or wind or breath. This certainly ties in with Acts chapter 2. I'd like to read the first four verses of Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we see here, even in the New Testament, that the Holy Spirit is referred to as this mighty rushing wind that suddenly swooped in into that place where they were all waiting. And they had been there, remember, from the command of Jesus, who had told them to go to Jerusalem and to tarry there in prayer and intercession, awaiting this promise of the Father. And this promise of the Father was the sending of the Holy Spirit upon them. This Hebrew word ruach is defined as the wind, breath, or spirit. It also is defined as life. It's that animated part of us, that part within us that makes us who we are. It's also known to be the seat of mental capacity and moral character as well. The first time it's used in scripture is in Genesis 1, 1 and 2, where it says God created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we saw how Elohim is there. But in verse 2, it speaks about how the spirit brooded or hovered over the waters. And so it's talking about the spirit of God there, this third person of the Trinity. And so we see actually the Trinity involved in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2. God is speaking the creative word, God the Father. The Holy Spirit is doing some brooding and so forth over these waters. When God breathed into Adam and Adam became a living soul, the Spirit was involved in that. The Spirit gave life. The Son of God was involved in making the things that were made. John 1 tells us that, that everything was made by him, and by him was nothing, was not, was nothing not made. He was the one who made the things. We see him in Genesis chapter 2, and in later in Genesis 1, crafting mankind from the dust of the earth. How beautiful to know that he literally got his hands dirty. He rolled up his sleeves and got down in the dirt and made man. How beautiful is that? So we see the whole of the Godhead or the Trinity in unity, again, because he is a united one, 
creating the world, the universe, and all people. So tonight, as we consider the Holy Spirit, I'd like to consider several key points as we go through here. It's interesting that the picture given here in Genesis 1 of the Spirit, the first picture or imagery we see is of him brooding. It reminds me of a mother hen that would do so over her baby chicks. She does that, I learned, for, for several reasons. One is temperature regulation, one is nourishment, and one is protection. She also will flutter over them and nudge them out when that time comes. So the bird, I learned, primarily does this for two reasons, to regulate temperature of her eggs until they're hatched and ready, and to protect the eggs and the baby birds from predators. A bird flutters over them also, stirring them up sometimes when they get too comfortable and maybe they like sitting in the nest and they don't want to learn to fly. So the bird will flutter and kind of hover over them, and stir them up. So it's interesting that I see some neat things in these. First of all, in regulating temperature, we need to have our temperature regulated sometimes. Sometimes there's a song that says, light the fire again. Sometimes we need our fire for the Lord lit again. And so he will do that for us sometimes. In the tabernacle, we saw the picture of the menorah, which represents the church according to Revelation chapter 1 through 3. Especially in Revelation 1, verse 19 and 20, Jesus specifically identifies those lampstands, the seven lampstands that he is among in Revelation chapter 1. He specifically calls them the churches. So the menorah was what would burn the light inside the tabernacle, and the wicks would draw up the oil from the lamp. So there's a lot more we can talk about in that, but it does apply to the church because the church is the lampstand. The church is like that menorah. Our job is to give light. That is what our job is. Who is the light? It's the light of the world, Jesus Christ. So our job is to shine him. Our job is to distribute him and let him be known through our light bearing. And so this menorah, they would replenish the oil. And the oil represents the Holy Spirit. So sometimes we need the Holy Spirit to light our fires again. We need to keep our oil lamps ready and, and supplied. And so the Holy Spirit supplies that oil so we can shine for Jesus. The fire was supposed to stay lit. The oil being that representative, symbolic representative of the Holy Spirit was the one that lit the fire, and it was to stay ablaze at all times. We need to stay ablaze for Jesus. So he helps us to keep our fire lit through several ways, through his conviction and his correction. Sometimes he convicts us, and I'm so grateful when he does. I, I treasure when the Holy Spirit corrects me because I want to be pleasing to the Lord. I want to be like David in 1 Samuel chapter 24. We read about David. We read one of the episodes of David. And in verse 4 and 5, it says this in verse 4. Then the men of David said to him, this was when Saul had come into the cave where David and his men were. And they were in the back. Saul didn't know they were there. And so the men of David are saying to him in verse 4, 
This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I'll deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him. Some versions say smote him because he had cut Saul's robe. In there we see a picture of that kind of conviction that the Holy Spirit will work in us. So that conviction is like an immediate kind of blow. As long as you don't have a seared conscience or a conscience that is being seared in the process of being seared, the Holy Spirit will convict us when we do wrong. And we'll immediately know, man, I shouldn't have said that, or I shouldn't have gone there, or I shouldn't have done that particular thing. Or maybe it's a thought that you held on to and you know you shouldn't have. Whatever it is, somehow you will know that you messed up. That's the convicting good work of the Holy Spirit in order to correct us and draw us back to the Lord so that we can make it right with God and with other people if needed. The Holy Spirit will help keep us ablaze also through restoring us, refreshing us, prompting us, and even through the discernment that he gives. I pray this all the time for my children and for, for all of us. We need discernment. That constitutes the ability to distinguish between what is good and what is evil. We live in a day where they are calling evil good and calling good evil, and it's all backwards. And we need to be able to have the Holy Spirit to discern that among us. Welcome to those of you who are with me and joining me. I thank you for joining in. So we need to distinguish the truth between good and evil. As a matter of fact, when Jesus spoke about the last days that would come, the very first thing he said to his disciples was, do not be deceived. So that lets us know that there will be plenty of opportunity in the last days for us to be deceived, and we have to be on guard and watch out for it. Deception is rampant, and we need discernment from the Holy Spirit to be able to distinguish between not only what is good versus evil, but also there are many good things that can distract us or keep us busy. And we'll always be chasing our tails and not being able to focus on those things that are really God things for us. God wants us to be doing the God things. not And, and all of the God things he has for us are good things. But not necessarily every good thing is a God thing for you or I or or me to do, because we can, we can get ourselves all distracted and, and way too busy. And so we want to be careful to be able to discern what is truly from the Lord for us to be involved in and to be spending our time doing. The Holy Spirit also in that brooding will protect from predators. He keeps us on the right path. He convicts us when we start to stray away, and he guards us from evil. He does that through intercession. According to Romans 8, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. How beautiful is that? Because Hebrews tells us Jesus does too. So how wonderful to know that we have God the Son and God the Holy Spirit praying and interceding to God the Father on our behalf at all times, according to Jesus, 
according to the author of Hebrews, Jesus lives forevermore, forever after, to provide intercession on our behalf. He also does it through wisdom. He leads us. The Holy Spirit leads us with wise counsel. Sometimes that keeps us from places or people or things that we don't need. Sometimes it leads us to places, people, or things that we do need. So we have to be aware of that. Welcome to you who's joining in. So glad to to have you with me. He also shields us at times. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes he'll shield us. Sometimes some of the things that we think are delays are actually the Holy Spirit of God working on our behalf to protect us. Maybe you're two minutes later than you wanted to be, leaving for a particular trip. How do you know if the Holy Spirit may have just saved you from an accident, for instance? Sometimes you might know that. Sometimes you might drive by and see an accident and realize that could have been me. Sometimes you may never know until we get to heaven. But we, but we have to trust that the Holy Spirit sometimes will shield us when we need it. He also will stir us up, and sometimes, just like that hen will do as she flutters over the nest, sometimes he he stirs us up and he kind of pushes us and nudges us out. We can get settled into our comfort zone, and sometimes we don't like, some of us don't like change at all. I tend to be one of those. We like to kind of get in our rut and stay put and not really change around. We don't always want to venture out, but sometimes the Holy Spirit will come and prod us and stir us up so that we can venture out. Welcome to you as you join in. Scripture speaks to us about being stirred up. I'd like to look at a couple of those passages with you tonight. Give me just a moment to pull up the first one, because I'd like to start in 2 Peter chapter 1. In 2 Peter chapter 1, and I'd like to read verses 5 through 15. He says in here, um, this is about being stirred up to remember and apply the things that Peter is teaching us. That's what we're talking about, and that's what this passage is speaking of. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. So there's a progression. There's a building up in our faith. There's a growth that he's talking about here. Then he goes on. He says, for if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For this reason, Peter says, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are well established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, 
knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of those things after my decease. How beautiful is that? So here, Peter is saying, it's my job, part of my job and my calling is to stir up the things that you already know. You've been taught these things and you believe them and you know them, but sometimes we just, we leak. <laughs> I, I believe there's one of the Christian comedians that talks about us being clay pots and sometimes we leak. So sometimes we need that stirring up. Sometimes we just get settled into the nest like those birds do and we don't necessarily want to venture out. So sometimes we need a little bit of stirring. I'm seeking right now to do everything that I can in me to place the things that God has put in me and the things that God has taught me into a form or forms that will outlive me. Peter talked about that and he wrote two books in the Bible. And then of course he's in plenty of other um, examples through scripture, but he had in his heart to leave two books. Now he probably didn't know they were going to be canonized as part of official scripture, but God moved upon him to write those things. And he did, he left us two powerful books. And why did he do that? Because he wanted his ministry and the message to outlive him. So he's telling us here, I'm doing this so that you always have a reminder, even after I'm gone. And so that speaks to me personally. I want that to be the case. My calling is to make disciples, to help people learn more about Jesus and more about God's word. And so I'm seeking to be as faithful as I can to do that. And so we need sometimes to be stirred up, to remember and apply God's truth in our daily living, and then to fulfill our ministry and do it in such a way that it will be enduring and outlive us so that we're leaving a true legacy. In 2 Peter 3, verses 1 through 9, he speaks about some things here that we also need to be stirred up because we are, I believe, living in what the Bible calls the last days, or we know it, we may refer to it as the end times, when our Lord is coming back. He says this in verse, three, in verse 1 of 2 Peter 3, Behold, I now write to you the second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of our Lord, of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, Where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, in the last days, there will be people going around saying, we've heard about Jesus coming back all of our life. We've heard about the rapture. We've heard about the end times. We've heard about it. Where is it? Where is it? I don't see it yet. It hadn't happened yet. All of that was prophesied. Peter says that it will happen in the last days, and we're living in that time when this is going on. But continuing on, he goes on in verse 5, For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, for which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, 
are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. What he's saying there is that the, God spoke one time and told the earth, and he spoke the earth, he spoke the universe, he spoke the stars and the orbits and the planets into existence, and they're still doing it today. His word never loses power. His word will come to pass, and it will stand the test of time until the time comes when it is completed. That's what he's talking about there. So he's reminding them that just because we haven't seen the manifestation of the Lord's return yet, it is still in play. It will happen. And we have the promise of that, even in the fact that the things that God created remain to this day. So it hasn't gone anywhere. So he continues on and he says in verse 8 and 9, he tells us exactly why it hasn't happened yet. He says, Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he tells us that the reason that the Lord has not returned is because more people are coming into the kingdom and being saved. More people are finding Jesus to be their savior. And as long as men, women, boys, and girls will open their hearts and say, Jesus, I want to be saved because he does not want one person to perish in hell. And so we continue to await that. Day. So it's imperative for us to do the work he's called us to do, knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Hallelujah. I love how Peter defines and speaks there about the connection between God speaking the world into existence. And it's interesting that the orbits, you know, he spoke one time, and so far it's been almost, it's been probably 6,000 years on the Jewish calendar, almost 6,000 years, if you go by the Jewish calendar, and they're still orbiting today. You know, it's beautiful because um, it, it even speaks of, in, in some Psalms, it says, let the heavens or the earth rejoice or be glad. And if you look that up in the Hebrew, one of those words means to literally spin around as an expression of joy and praise. And I believe that that's why the earth spins. I believe that's why you see orbits around planets and some of the planets may spin. Because God set them in motion and he said, you spin around and rejoice and praise me. Hallelujah. How beautiful. How beautiful is that? Hallelujah. So even the earth is obeying the command of the Lord. And it remains in orbit. And it will continue until the day that it will come to an end and be replaced by a new heaven and a new earth. Welcome. I'm so glad y'all are with me tonight. So he is waiting. Jesus is waiting. He is coming soon. Although he waits, he is still coming soon. But he's hoping for more people to turn to him and be saved. Hallelujah. Now, let's turn over to 2 Timothy, verse 1. And I hope tonight's lesson won't be too late because I know we're already getting a little bit late. So we'll try to zip through this. In 2 Timothy, two, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, 
Verse three, it says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did as without ceasing. I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says this, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And we love to quote, for God has not given us a spirit of fear many times. And that is a very comforting verse that we can speak over any fearful times and situations. But it's in the context of stirring up the gift that God has given us. You know, whenever I started these Facebook Live videos, there was a little bit of apprehension. There was some, some fearful thought there. Wonder if anybody would enjoy them. Wonder if anybody would, would participate. Wonder if they would even be a blessing to anybody. But God said, and he says right there, in that context, I've not given you a spirit of fear or intimidation, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So we go forward and we take courage in knowing that we do the best we can using all available means to fulfill the calling he's placed on our life. And that's what Paul is telling you. He's saying, don't be intimidated. Don't stop. Don't be fearful about going forward and stirring up the gift that God put in you and the calling he placed in your life. He wants you to complete that. He wants you to be one of those with the talents that, that earn something, that, that increase, that use their talent, not the one that buried it. So I hope that is, is an encouragement to all of us to stir up the gift that God placed in us. So that's my prayer for the church today. Hallelujah. So sometimes we need to appreciate that part of the Holy Spirit. Now, in John chapter 16, it says this, Jesus is speaking here, and he gives us more details about the Holy Spirit and who he is and his work. Remember, he is the third person of the Godhead, and so they each have uh, different roles and functions. And so here, Jesus defines for us more about the work of the Holy Spirit. And I want to read beginning in verse 5, but now I go, but now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's for your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I'll, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on, on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take off what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus here is giving us more information about the Holy Spirit. He calls him the helper or the comforter. It's that Greek word parakletos, 
the one who is an aid or an advocate, an intercessor, one who comes to another's aid and helps him, a counsel for defense, one who comforts or aids another person. He also tells us that he convicts the world. Now, we don't like that word sometimes, but it's important because it's truthful. He convicts the world. He convicts the world of sin. In other words, convicting us about believing in Christ, whether we do or don't. He draws people to repent of sin and believe on Jesus for salvation. Jesus spoke about this and said that you can't come to God unless the Spirit will draw you. In Romans 3.23, it says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That is still true today in an era, in an era, era where we don't always like to hear about sin. It is still true. We are still sinners that God has looked upon and offers salvation to. And he, he does that with every person. So all have sinned. And Romans 6.23 is still true. The wages of sin is death, meaning spiritual separation from God eternally. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life in his presence. Both are eternal. The deciding factor is what we do with the Lord Jesus Christ. He also convicts of righteousness. This is proven right here in the scripture by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's the Holy One. His tomb is empty. We just celebrated that here in our land and in the form of uh, Resurrection Sunday or what some call Easter. So holy and righteousness, holiness and righteousness matters. It's the proof of a true Christian. And so the Holy Spirit will convict about that. He will convict that Christ was the Holy One and is risen from the dead. He also convicts us about righteousness to show us that our righteousness won't work. Isaiah 64 verse 6 speaks of how our righteousness is as filthy rags. It's not enough for us to try to be righteous before God. Remember in the garden, Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. It didn't work. It didn't work. There had to be the shedding of blood to take away sin. Big leaves won't do. We need an imputed righteousness, a holy God to impute to us his righteousness, for he is the one that is holy and just and pure. And written law demanded death because of sin. We just quoted that from Romans. But if the holy and innocent one died as a substitute for the guilty, then God, the righteous judge, can acquit and pardon us and impute to us his righteousness, and he is still holy and just to do it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 speaks of this when it says this in verse 21, for he, meaning God, the Father, made him who knew no sin, Christ, to be sin for us or to die as as um, a payment for our sin. He took upon him all of our sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And then in Philippians 3, 9, Paul quotes it this way. He says this, that he wants to be found in Christ. He's speaking of Christ when he says in him, not having my own righteousness, 
which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Even David spoke of this when he said, blessed is the man that, that is forgiven and that God has not imputed uh, his sin to him. He spoke about that. We need that imputed righteousness before God, and it is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all believers who will, who will believe in the Lord Jesus. He also convicts the world of judgment. We really don't like that word, but it's still true. God is a just judge, and all sinners do stand condemned before him. And then, of course, you've got the accuser of the brethren, the prosecutor over there, and he's got the goods on the guilty sinner. Thank God that we have an advocate. Thank God for the Son of God who took our place so that we would not have to face the wrath of God, the holy judgment for our sin. Christ took it for, for us, and he took it in our place. And so because of that, he imputes his righteousness to us. The deciding factor, of course, in this judgment is one question. What do you do with Jesus? Jesus posed it to Peter like this. Who do you say I am? Is he your Savior and Lord? If he is, God imputes righteousness to you through the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. He is also the spirit of truth, according to Jesus in this passage. Absolute truth. There is absolute truth today, and it is found in the word of God. Remember in that passage where Jesus spoke and he said, he takes what is mine and gives it to you. That means the word. Jesus is the living word. So the Holy Spirit will pull from the scriptures. He will speak to us through the scriptures. He will remind us of a scripture or, or speak somehow and apply it to us through those rhema words. So remember, the word of God, according to 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed. It's Holy Spirit-inspired. Peter also tells us in another place how the Holy Spirit moved upon the prophets of old and those that wrote the scriptures, and they are inspired. They are God-breathed to accomplish the things that God wants to accomplish. According to this passage, it's doctrine, teaching us sound doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. The Holy Spirit will only lead and teach what is according to God's word. We must remember that. Anything that comes along that violates the word of God, I don't care how good it sounds, how sweet it seems to be, it is not of God. The Holy Spirit will never violate the word of God. They will always work in unison and conjunction together. John tells us to test the spirits. And the reason for that is because there's a lot of deception around. It might sound Christian-y, but that doesn't mean it's of God. So we have to have the Holy Spirit's discernment to be able to tell that difference. And that's what this testing of the spirits is all about. The Holy Spirit will always lead us into all truth. In any area of life, he still leads us into all truth. Whether we realize it or not, it may be related to a job, family, health, or whatever. He has led me many times into ways of wisdom for my health. And so welcome to you, those who are joining. He speaks to us from the word of God. 
that word that he hears. Remember, he said he will hear, he will take of his, of, of Jesus. And it will always glorify Jesus. It will always correspond to scripture. And it will always be a living word that will guide us. Hallelujah. He reveals direction to us through the spirit. You know, the spirit, this is the, my last point, And we'll begin to close down here because I know it's late. God's prompting spirit. I call him the GPS. God's prompting spirit. I don't particularly like GPSs. Many times they take you either the wrong way or they take you a different way than what you should go um, or the, the different way than what's the easiest way. I remember one particular time when the, the GPS was going to have me turn off somewhere and go way, way around out of the way instead of taking me to the one exit that would take me straight to where I was going. So I don't particularly always like GPSs, but God's GPS is a whole different story because he'll never take you on a wrong path. He'll never direct you wrong. His GPS is always good and it will prompt us. So we need to be sensitive to that. You know, some, some that know horse, horses and, and things about horses can tell you that sometimes a horse you, you know, you have stubborn horses just like you have stubborn mules and other things. But then other times you will have a horse that is neck-reined. Beautiful picture. It's neck-reined. I love that. And I want to be neck-reined. When, when a horse is neck-reined, you just lightly tap the neck, and it knows exactly what you want it to do, which way to turn or whatever. We need to be that so that we're not resistant, but we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit's direction. And, you know, the last point I'll make about the GPS is this. Even with a GPS, it still requires cooperation with each of us. Just like God's Spirit, He will prompt us, and He has the course set for us and what we need to do and where we need to go. But we have to cooperate. To set the GPS in your car, you have to actually get in your car. Then you have to turn the car on. Then you have to actually put it in drive and start driving. So there's a cooperation aspect of that. And we need to be cooperating with the Holy Spirit of God. The last point about the Holy Spirit is that he endues us with power. That is what the filling and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is all about. He is enduing us with power. He is granting to us and enabling us that power from on high for one purpose, to be his witnesses, to shine the light for him to tell other people about him, to do what he's called us to do as his witnesses. God is still calling people today, and he wants us to be his lights in the world. Just like God breathed into Adam and Eve, and they became, or Adam became a living soul, and then he made Eve. The Holy Spirit is the breath of life eternally. He is ripe with eternal life, and he breathes in us, so that we become a living example and a living testament, a living witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for the Ruach HaKodesh, his Holy Spirit, who is our helper, our guide, our GPS, our comforter, and our um, guide, and, and that one that will endue us with power to serve the Lord. May we cooperate and be sensitive to him every day and follow his GPS. I'd like to pray, and I pray that this message has been a blessing to you, 
and helped you understand more about the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time with my brothers and sisters today in Christ. Thank you for those who will hear, those who will view this. I pray blessings upon each and every one of them. Pray that you will lead them in the path you have for them and that they will be sensitive to your Spirit's leading. And God, we know that you always lead us the right way and you lead us into what is true and what is right for us and what will bring glory to your name because your Holy Spirit always glorifies Jesus. Help us to be your witnesses. May we be endued with that power to be your witnesses and may we stir up the gift you've put inside of us and be effective in these last days for you as we await your return. In Jesus' name, I also ask a blessing upon everyone that will hear this, this video and see this message. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for joining me. Next week, we'll be back again with another lesson in our Run Kitty Run series, and I hope you can join me again. God bless you, and have a wonderful evening.